If this was your only uh, exposure to the ideas that Paul shares, you might think that Paul was something of a triumphalist. Uh, he's, uh, the run of his reason here points to the unstoppable nature of God's love for us. But Paul's triumph is no populist kind of triumph. Paul's understanding of triumph has been forged in the furnace of his experience as a disciple and that was no fun at all. Experience that you could not describe as smooth sailing. But Paul's confidence has its foundation in God's knowing of us. Not simply a sense of knowledge as information, but God's close engagement and understanding of us. In fact, Paul suggests God knows us better than we know ourselves. For example, we don't know how to pray sometimes, Paul says. And this is a good place to illustrate what Paul is getting at. Our worlds are complex and confusing. I'm sure if you're at all a serious prayer, you've had that time where you haven't known how to pray. You've been aware of a situation maybe in your own life or in someone else's and you don't know what to say even to God about that. We're not even sure what outcome we might be hoping for, much, uh, much less even understanding anything else. Much of life is beyond our knowing, uh, let alone our understanding, uh, let alone even our capacity to welcome or uh, fully engage and accept what's going on. And we cry out to God sometimes in these amorphous groans that are kind of half-baked emotional responses or something like that. They're inarticulate, but actually that's the best articulation of them. And this is a truly wonderful thing, because God knows our hearts. God's spirit knows our spirit. There is a capacity for knowing us that seems to outstrip our own capacity to even know ourselves. I mean, when you think about this, it's actually not as uncommon an experience as you might imagine. There's a sense in which we are too close to ourselves to really know ourselves well, and to maintain an accurate picture of who we are, you need a little bit of distance. You need insight from others to tell you things. I have a propensity to squirrel away chocolate. I think I've mentioned that here previously. Um, I use the phrase squirrel away because it is very reminiscent of what squirrels do with nuts where they you know, gather them together in the uh, time when you can gather nuts for the time when you don't have nuts. And uh, surprisingly, for a long time, I didn't realise that's what I was doing. And you might think I'm not well, but um, it was Jo who pointed out to me, she said, you squirrel away chocolate. And I go, no, I don't. <laughs> but I did. And um, little blocks of Cadbury's or lint. You'd go into my study at Fairlight and there was books everywhere. And every so often, this is how Jo discovered it, she was looking for a book and went, Oh, Cadbury's Breakaway. Oh, excellent. <laughs> to me, this was second nature. I didn't know I was doing it. Like, I didn't think about doing it. I didn't think about whether other people did it. I didn't think about it at all. I just did it. And um, when Joe pointed it out and made me aware of it, I started reflecting on, why do I do that? It's such an odd thing to do. And I'd inherited a fear of not having enough which was kind of surprising because throughout my entire life, 
I've always had everything I've needed. If you'd told me I was a person who had a fear of not having enough, I would have answered or responded using my rational mind and said, well, that's ridiculous. I've always had enough. Of course I've got enough. But my actions told a different story that was closer to the truth. My actions knew something that my consciousness wouldn't tell me, and that is that I did fear that I wouldn't have enough, and I had to hide things away on the, the, in case of the eventuality that I didn't have enough, and I needed to get what I needed. This was a truth I didn't know about myself, but someone outside of me knew. Just as important is that God knows our circumstances better than we do ourselves. God sees over the horizon line of what is available for us to see. God knows us in our various contexts. God appreciates the challenges that we face and the opportunities that are open before us. God knows the people, both enjoyable and draining, that we might spend time with. And while we might be quick to make judgments about others based on very, very little knowledge or understanding or depth of their circumstances, God is precisely the opposite. God knows us and our circumstances thoroughly, yet does not shut us out or exclude us in any way. See, God knew us well before we knew ourselves. Some of us are still getting to know ourselves. It's a long journey. And God has never had an interest in excluding us. When we judge, we often do that in order to put a distance between us and the person that we're judging. But God has no interest in separating himself from us. His interest is precisely the opposite. He wants to draw near. God wants to draw near to us so that divine grace and that perfect acceptance can empower us us to live the life that we have been created to live. Some people would have you believe that God is more like an obsessive, compulsive perfectionist. But our God cares more about us than any concerns about rule-keeping or adherence to those sorts of things. God has always had a purpose for us too. God is interested in seeing us become fully alive, most like his son. This is the divine purpose for us. God is less interested in how much money we may or may not have or be able to earn or the kind of suburb or house that we live in, the sort of car we might drive or might long to drive. These things might be important to us or our neighbours, but God is less interested in those things. God wants us to be freed from anything and everything that would hold us back from being conformed to the likeness of Jesus the one who gives himself to all. And God works all the circumstances of our life towards this important result. The only thing that can stop it, of course, is our willingness to cooperate with it. I'm going to tell you another story about my children. I've been made aware that I tell a lot of stories about my children and uh, hopefully they won't find out. So uh, don't tell them. But when Wei arrived in our home, she was six months old as a baby and um, from Taiwan, And it was a very challenging time, as it is for any parent, I think. Um, We were as prepared as we probably could have been. And like many parents would tell you, it doesn't matter how prepared you think you are, nothing prepares you for the responsibility of another utterly dependent person's life. And so that was a bit challenging. 
Added to that, uh, Wei had eczema pretty much all over her body, so she was irritated and uncomfortable, and she was hypervigilant because she'd been left in an orphanage, and so she was alert to everything, and it took us a long time to get her to sleep. We were also working on the process of attachment parenting, so we wanted to be there for her. And so at about 6 o'clock sleep time, one or other, Joe or I, would go in and put Wei to bed and it would take about two hours. And that was punishing. And once she was asleep, we would creep around the house and if a doorbell rang or a phone rang or a dog barked or anything like that, there was this moment of, did she wake up? It was you know, so tense and we were getting less sleep than we needed for a long time. And one night when the baby just wouldn't go to sleep and she was irritated and itchy and we were really beyond ourselves. We knew that there was some antihistamine that would help ease the itch and make her drowsy and we'd run out of it. So I said, right, I'm going to go to a chemist. It was about quarter to 11 at night. I thought, I've got to get some of this stuff. We're going nuts here. So I, we're in Manly. I thought, there's an all-night chemist or a night chemist at DY. I'll head over there and I got there about 5 past 11 and it closed at 11 o'clock. No one was there and I thought, I'm pretty sure there's a night chemist at Crow's Nest. I can't go home without this stuff. So I drove off to Crow's Nest as the clouds formed both metaphorically and actually in reality above my head and the rain started to come down. I got to Crow's Nest. That one closed at 11 o'clock as well and then I thought, I'm sure there was a a 24-hour chemist at Chatswood. I'm going to Chatswood. And I drove to Chatswood as the rain poured down. It was quite dangerous. I was way too tired to be driving anyway. I got to Chatswood and stopped on Victoria Road. across the road. I could see through the rain. All the lights were on at this chemist. I thought, hallelujah, God does love me. And uh, I got out of the car and I ran across and all the lights were on, but nobody was home. The chemist was closed. I couldn't believe it. I walked back to the car. I was drenched. I felt hopeless and broken and tired and frustrated and I was crying out to God in my heart saying, how is this an expression of your love for me? How does this work? And inside my heart, this was not by choice in a funny kind of way, I thought, maybe there is no God. Maybe I'm just an idiot. Maybe the whole thing is made up and I need to let go of it and get on with my life. And as I thought those thoughts in a kind of prophetic metaphor, I looked through the the rain coming down the the windscreen of the car and looked out down Victoria Avenue and all the colour seemed to drain out of the scene. And I thought, do I want to live in a world that doesn't have the love of God? I'm not sure that I do. Anyway, I pulled myself together and drove home and There was no antihistamine and child must have got to sleep. I can't remember what happened. We got through that night and we got through the next day and, you know, we got through that year. We got through, you know, we survived it. And I look at that experience and you might ask, as I sure did, how did that night work together for good for me? Well, I can tell you, it helped me to see that I wanted to live in a world that had the hope of divine love and that a world without that hope wasn't a world that was worth living in. 
even if that involved that, that hope involved the dissonance of something that at the time I could not perceive as God working together for good, it was still worth holding on to. And as you move further through that experience, you realise that actually it's okay. The thing that we think is overwhelming and devastating finds a relativeness in the scheme of life. As that night gave way to the rest of life, we realised that I learnt lots of good things through that experience. It remains as a memory of a decisive moment for me where I could have walked away from God, but I didn't want to live in a world without that love of God. And you see, God's love is amazing. It's like no other. And Paul is at pains to point this out to us, that God holds nothing back from us. Even God's only son was given. There's no half measures from our God. When it comes to divine generosity towards us, there's an absolute guarantee that God will hold nothing back that we need. And nothing can get in the way of God and us because of this. What could get in the way? What are the possibilities? Maybe we do something terrible. Could anything be more terrible than the murder of his son? Well, that happened and God still loves us. Perhaps there would be some circumstances that would overwhelm us and feel too challenging. Well, God knows our circumstances, and if we just hold on, God knows how frail we are. Nothing too much for us will come. We get through. Sometimes we realise we are but dust with divine breath breathed into us, but the divine breath is still there for us and keeps us going. Nothing can separate us from that. Our part, and this is the rub, is to trust that. We do not need to be beavering around behind the scenes, stitching up deals to make sure that we're okay. We don't have to hide our chocolate in the books in our study. God is with us. That's not to say that things will work out exactly as we anticipate or even take the exact shape of the images we have of hope. They will work together in a way that gives us optimal opportunity for faithfulness and to grow into the likeness of self-giving love that we find in Christ. In the middle of the night, in the pouring rain, opposite a much-needed yet closed pharmacy, this was well outside of the parameters of what I had up until that point understood to possibly mean the expression of God's love for me and all things working together for good. It was not easy or enjoyable, but no one died. We got through that night. We got through the next day, the next year, the next decade. I discovered something about my own resilience and I learnt a bit more about trusting God beyond my immediate experience. It kind of reminded me of that corny saying, I think I heard it in the Marigold Hotel movie, where somebody says, it's okay, everything will be okay in the end, and someone else says, how is this okay? And he says, well, it's obviously not the end. Um, things do work together for good. See, God knows us better than we know ourselves, knows us and our circumstances, and does not exclude us because of them. Rather, God draws us near and declares that nothing, nothing in all of heaven or earth can get in the way of that closeness. 
Let us put our trust in our God of love and go forth into our world to, sh- to share this divine love with all and everyone whom we meet. To the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that even in the toughest of times, your love is there for us. Help us to put our trust in you and to share that love with all whom we meet. To the glory of your name. Amen.